You're listening to episode 203, Health Testing 101, 57 Health Tests to Keep You in Optimal Health. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up? What's up, everybody? Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you're healthy. Wherever you happen to be, you know, health is the number one priority in your life, honestly, especially now with all this craziness going on. But really all the time, even before the big bad coronavirus, I think health is the number one priority. Without health, you have nothing. If you're healthy, you can work, you can serve other people, you can increase your income, make money, enjoy relationships, enjoy the money that you have. You know, health is just everything. So in this episode, you know, we got quite a lot of material to get through, so I'm just going to jump into it. This is basically a special episode we're doing for health testing. So I've announced this episode in a couple different places, Uh, but regardless, if this is your first time listening, welcome. We're going to be doing a lot of health stuff this year and in the coming years, a lot of biohacking, you know, looking at the body, looking at health, different kind of tests you can do, some different kind of supplements and interventions you can do. I'm really big in that. I'm actually in the process right now of writing my second book. I'm going to be referencing this episode in the book, so if you are from the future and tuning back in the past, then welcome. Uh, But this is going to be a big list of health tests that you can employ in your life, and it's going to be an accompanying to this as a PDF document that you can download for free. Uh, with links to you know where to get the tests as well as all the information we're covering here. It's going to be a lot of information, so obviously having some sort of written document is going to help you a lot. Uh, basically, with reference ranges, you know, guides of what to shoot for for optimal uh, testing. You know where you can get the test, links to the test, all that kind of stuff. So you can download all this stuff at danceoflife.com/slash/health-testing. That's basically, you know, nothing else, just health testing, H-E-A-L-T-H-T-S-T-I-N-G, danceoflife.com slash health testing. Uh, so this is going to be a, a big list. I'm just going to go through it, you know, bullet by bullet. Like I said, we've got a lot of information, so I'm just going to jump into it. No BS. Uh, you know, these tests are not every single test you can take. There's a lot of tests out there, obviously, <laughs> especially if you have a very specific medical condition. Um, You know, there's a lot of different tests that that can be done, but this is basically a compendium of all the functional tests that I've taken the last 15, 16 years of biohacking, of doing my thing. And, you know, for the most part, I would say at least 80% of your health, you can use all these tests to really uh, refine and keep yourself in good shape and keep yourself in optimal shape and keep you know, track on everything that's moving around in your body. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Health is very complicated. And, you know, testing, this is not like an absolute either. That's one thing to remember with all this stuff. The testing that we do, they're just snapshots of a moving, you know, if you took pictures of a river every five minutes, uh, that might give you some information, but it's not going to give you all the information. So remember that as you test, 
you know, if anybody's been neurotic, it's been me. But, you know, it's one thing I've learned is also to kind of dial back the neuroticism and and certain things you just aren't going to understand. But testing, you know, my goal with this episode is to give you as much information as possible to empower you to be kind of your own coach. Obviously, you need a good functional medicine doctor. You need, uh, you know, a good health team. But ultimately, you got to play the game. You know, you can't be a passive passenger in this health journey because, you know, you just can't. I mean, doctors, even the good ones, they have a business to run. They have a practice to run. They're busy. And you have to know, at least to some extent, how your own specific health uh, moves around. So I'm going to put some links in there also how to find a functional medicine doctor in that PDF. If you don't have one, highly, highly recommend one. Uh, You know, they're going to be able to look what is functional medicine really quickly. They're going to be looking at the functional aspect of your body. And this is really a good uh, thing to understand going into these tests is you want to understand the functional status of your body. What does that mean? That means how is your body functioning? You know, taking a test, like for example, a vitamin D test, the normal range for that is like 30, you know, 30 is the baseline cutoff. And if you're below 30, it's deficient. So technically, if you come in with a vitamin D score of like 32 or 33, you're normal according to the standards, the mainstream standards, but that's nowhere near functional, you know, being optimal, you know, that's the key is you want to be optimal and functioning. And the problem is that health testing today, although this is, you know, changing, uh, health testing today is uh, does not account for these optimal levels. That's why having a functional medicine doctor who knows, you know, all these things that we're going to be talking about in this episode uh, about functional status and all that kind of stuff will be able to look at your numbers and say, you know what, you know, this is where we can work a little more with nutrition. We can work with some other things preventatively before they, you know, go to hell, basically, you know. So you don't want to wait until your blood tests come out wrong. You want to be able to understand the finesse and the, you know, how things move and see trends and be able to predict trends. That's really important. That requires a finer eye. It requires a little more training. It requires understanding functional patterns versus, you know, simply wait till something's broken and then, oh, you know, you have a problem. So that's really important. Find a functional medicine doctor. Remember also, again, these are all just pictures. You know, they're not going to be the full picture of your health. And ultimately, you have to use as many pictures as possible, especially if you're taking supplements, especially if you're, you know, doing interventions or trying to understand a particular problem, like with your digestion, with aging, you know, stress levels, all these things are very complicated. Health is unfortunately very complicated. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, if you have some good principles. And that's my goal in this episode is to arm you with the principles. So a lot of information. We're going to just get right into it, guys. Here we go. So basically, you know, I've got a couple categories. Again, go download your PDF. Um, it's at danceoflife.com slash health testing. And right now, actually, I opened up a new uh, program for anybody who's listening to this episode. If you listen to this and you want help with this stuff, I'm doing a 30-day Align Your Life Challenge. So basically you just email me, tutor at danceoflife.com, or you can contact me through my website, whatever, uh, and let me know that you want to be in this challenge. Normally, you know, it's four sessions on Zoom. We set some goals. We look at, you know, body stuff. We look at mindset. We look at vision and, and spirituality and all that kind of stuff. Basically, all the aspects that are required for you to not only nail your goals, but set up a plan for long-term success. And obviously part of that is the health stuff. It's testing, it's learning, you know, how to, you know, use your diet, how to take supplements, all these kinds of things, right? That's one part of it. Uh, So 
my invitation to you is if you find this stuff frustrating, overwhelming, it certainly can be because there's a lot of information. You want some help with it, uh, email me. And, you know, if you want to do that challenge, it's, it's basically free if you mention this episode. Mention this episode. Say, hey, I heard this episode. I want to join the challenge. Give me some more information. And basically, uh, that'll be free. It's four calls with me. And uh, basically, you know, we're going to set some action items and really go for it. So go ahead and email me, tutor at danceoflife.com if you want to do it. We're going to jump into this. Here we go. So there's different categories on your PDF. There's basically nutritional status, uh, you know, thyroid health, inf- inflammation and heart health, aging and digestive health. So we're going to go through all of that you know, one by one and and basically just kind of bullet point these. Okay. So for general nutrition status, the number one test I usually get is a Spectracell micronutrient assay. It's by a company named Spectracell, obviously. And what they did is very ingenuitive. They basically used a patented system to put your white blood cells, your lymphocytes, in these Petri dishes and expose them to a challenge where they take away the nutrient that they're trying to test. So if they're trying to test for vitamin D, they're going to put everything in that Petri dish except vitamin D. And obviously, if your blood cell you know, has a lot of vitamin D in it, then it's going to last a while. If it has nothing or very low, then the growth is going to be very stunted. So this is a very clever way to assess the functional Again, we're looking at functional and in intercellular levels of nutrients. When you're testing nutrients in your blood, this is very important. When you're testing nutrients in your blood, you're looking at intracellular, meaning in between the cells or in the blood. What you want, you know, that's not necessarily going to tell you if the nutrients are actually getting absorbed in your tissues or in your blood cells. The problem with Red blood cells, because you can do this also with red blood cells. Spectrocell uses white blood cells. The problem with red blood cells is that they don't have a nucleus, and you can't really test that many nutrients with them. You can test a few, but again, it's not as good as the white blood cells, which is what Spectrocell uses. And basically, I mean, your immune system, if your immune system's garbage, then your body's really in trouble. So you want to make sure that your immune cells have as high and robust of nutrients as possible. So it's a good way to assess the amount of nutrients in your body, basically a functional test. Again, testing your blood, your blood's trying to be perfect at all times. That's another principle it's important to remember uh, that most mainstream doctors are not trained in because if your blood, you know, for example, pH of your blood, if it oscillates by like 0.01%, you know, that's, that's a big deal. Your blood is, all the nutrients in your blood are very tightly regulated. So essentially what that means is if you're taking blood tests for things, you're not going to spot problems. If you do, then it's already a problem because your body's trying to keep the blood as perfect as possible. So to assess your functional status and to understand, you know, how that all stuff's going, you need to look in other places. And SpectraCell uh, is a great way to do that. So SpectraCell micronutrient assay, they do a lot of different stuff in there. They look at your antioxidant content in your blood cells, your nutrients, your vitamins, your minerals. Uh, it's just a great way to assess and and use along with, you know, supplementation. If you're taking supplements, you should be testing, period. Like, don't just take supplements without understanding your genetics. You're understanding your demand based on functional tests. Because if you take things out of proportion with each other, things are always changing, you know, in relation to one another, whether it's calcium, magnesium, zinc, and copper, all these things. You know, if you're taking an imbalance of one, it might create a deficiency in the other, or you might get a toxicity. You never know. So ultimately, 
especially if you're taking a crappy form of a supplement. So make sure you're testing regularly, especially if you're doing interventions. Uh, if you're testing, you know, stuff like anti-aging, different things, you've got to test and see, is this stuff actually working? You know, like, is this actually improving my health or am I just dumping a ton of money? Because for some people it may work, for some people it may not. So SpectraCell, kind of my gold standard, I think it's about 350 bucks, something like that. It's a bit of expensive test, but you get this done, you know, maybe twice a year. Uh, if you're really trying to do some interventions with nutrition, then get it done every three months and see, uh, you know, how the numbers change if you're really trying to monitor numbers, but that's a great test. Okay, so second one for general nutrition status are a bunch of different blood tests. And there's, you know, how I get these done is there's a link in the PDF where, you know, you go to this this website and you just pretty much purchase them because they're undersigned by a doctor. And they have a contract with like LabCorp, I think, and you just go there with your requisition and you just get them done. So you don't have to use a doctor. This is becoming a very common uh, thing nowadays. So um, I'm going to link the one that I use. If it's not in your area, you know, just I'm sure you can find something. There used to be all kinds of them, uh, Thanos or something like that, or Theros, I forget the name right now, but they got sued. But there's a lot of different systems like this where a doctor will underwrite a like an online lab system where you can just pretty much get a requisition. So first one is vitamin D. Vitamin D, super important, especially if you have genetic SNPs like I do with the VDR gene. Uh, that's your vitamin D receptor, you know, means you're not going to be able to absorb vitamin D as well. You'd be surprised how much vitamin D you need, especially if you have genetic SNPs. I mean, just to give you a quick idea, I have like a halfly, you know, halfway performing VDR gene. It's not too good. And I live in Phoenix, which is sunlight all the time. I've had, I've lived here 30 plus years. When I first got my vitamin D measured, I was already taking vitamin D like a lot. That's another thing you got to remember about this is that when you're supplementing, when you're doing interventions, when you're taking high quality supplements, not crappy ones, that you're, you know, ones that your body can actually use, the amount of nutrition that your body needs and can handle is way higher than what the standards have been established for the most part. Just like with blood tests, usually they're they're not accounting for optimal performance. They're accounting for baseline levels of disease based on averages. You know, they're not counting for like, what's it mean to be super optimal? And the same thing is with intake. With vitamin D, I was taking, I think like 700% of the RDI at the time when I first got it measured several years ago. And it was like 17 when it came back. This was after living in a, you know, getting sunlight every day, taking supplements, you know, and it was still deficient. And obviously after several years of kind of playing around with this, you know, I need to take at least five or 6,000 IUs, which is a huge, huge amount. 10,000 is like the upper tolerable limit daily that you can take, which is extremely high. Uh, but it's not extremely high if you have a VDR gene, right? So uh, this is very important. Ideally, vitamin D levels should be between 60 to 100. Uh, that would be ideal. Again, we're talking with optimal functioning, not, you know, mainstream understanding. Serum folate, that's one of your B vitamins, uh, B9. Try to have that towards the higher end of the range is good. Uh, B12, serum B12 is also another serum nutrient. Serum means your blood, so it's another way you can measure nutrients in your blood. Try to have that towards the higher end of the range, although... Again, it gets complicated with your genetics, and in there I'm going to have a link for a genetic test you can get that's very, very good. It screens all of your genes, it gives you reports, all that kind of stuff. It's through a company called Self Decode. But anyway, the point is with B12, it's not always clear 
because you could have a deficiency and still come up relatively normal on these. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, but you want that towards the higher end of the range. Serum zinc, middle of the range. Serum copper, middle of the range. You want the zinc and copper ratio to ideally be 1 to 0.8, meaning 1 zinc, 0.8 copper. So slightly, slightly less copper. Um, you know, so that's a good way, blood test, you know, to measure those nutrients. Iron in the middle of the range. Now, iron has a lot of different things, and it's it's an interesting one to measure, but a couple of these are all usually come together in an iron panel. So TIBC, which is total iron binding capacity, and transferrin, uh, these are basically a measure of the protein that your body uses to be able to transport iron. Usually, you know, and this also goes with iron saturation. So all these kind of work together. If you have lower transferrin, then that means you have lower ability to transport iron. And this could be normal low, and then what happens is it's, you know, your saturation is going to be a little higher, even with a normal iron score. This happened to me a lot uh, because I ended up learning that my iron protein transport is is genetically, I mean, I don't have a genetic disease, but I tend to make a little bit less. And that's always been characteristically slightly lower in these blood tests, which makes the iron saturation a little bit higher. So just understand that there's natural deviation in these. If you're taking iron supplements, uh, which again, you should be careful with those. There's several reasons we'll talk about, but uh, if you are, let's say, you know, you need to take those, then your iron saturation may be higher than 50%, which is the ideal. You should be under that. Uh, even though you're, let's say, anemic or you need iron. So if it's higher than 50%, that's usually because your transferrin or TIBC are on the lower end of the range. So think about it. If that's low and iron is even sort of in the middle, then your percentage is going to be higher because you're dividing it to. So in this case, you know, it might also be an indicator. You need some B vitamin support. Iron needs whole, you know, uh, vitamin C, vitamin B, a lot of different factors to actually be absorbed. So it's a lot of things in there. But again, as long as your iron and hemoglobin levels are in the normal middle of the range, you're good. Now, ferritin is another iron measurement that's super important and a little more key in terms of looking at your iron because ferritin is a measure of how your body stores iron. And if it's above 100, ideally you want it between 70 and 90. Some people say even lower, but I mean, the research is not super clear on that, but the research is clear that high ferritin is a marker for inflammation. So, you know, people who have metabolic syndrome, diabetes, obesity, all these different things, it's, it's a measurement of destruction of your cells. It is also a measurement of infection because the body, when you have an infection, it's very clever. The body stores iron and basically your ferritin levels rise. So you don't want this to be high because it's a marker of inflammation. The other thing that goes with that, again, with your iron panel, it's not included in the iron panel, but you want to use this test alongside a ferritin score is GGT. GGT, excuse me, GGT is a liver enzyme that is, it's a very long name, I'm not going to pronounce it, but it's basically part of a, uh, usually part of a complete metabolic panel. It's, a, it's several liver enzymes, but this one in particular, GGT, is a measure of an enzyme that breaks down glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant. So if this is elevated, that means this enzyme is more and more active. It's breaking down glutathione because why? Because there's damage in your body. And so if this is elevated above 20, I would say below 20 is optimal. 
Uh, but if it's elevated, like if it's 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, those are high numbers. And that's an indicator that, that your body's fighting something. There's an inf- inflammation in your body. It needs to reduce free radical damage. Uh, you know, it needs to reduce, reduce inflammation, all that kind of stuff. So if you have high ferritin and high GGT, that is a big, big no-no. Very, very bad. So that's one of the, in fact, those two together are a great simple two tests that you can use as indicators of your aging. If you have high GGT and high ferritin, you're aging rapidly. Now, GGT, you can reduce that through a healthy diet, you know, some uh, fruits and vegetables, organic fruits and vegetables, obviously things that boost glutathione activity or, you know, certain uh, antioxidants like PQQ, uh, you know, these different specialized mitochondrial support, things like selenium is another one too. Selenium is one of the basic minerals that supports glutathione activity. So GGT, simple test. ALP is also a liver enzyme. comes in a complete metabolic panel. And that is a good indicator of zinc and magnesium. So you want that to be above 70. Anything below that, you know, if it starts going to like 60, 50, 40, that kind of thing, that basically shows that it's being reduced and it's it's an indicator of zinc deficiency. So it's a simple way uh, without having to get the spectrocell micro. Again, we're going to, at the end of this episode, we're going to have a list of priorities. And again, in your PDF document, you also have this, but a list of priorities, meaning for every nutrient that you're going to test, I've listed what are all the tests that I do and how do I weigh them? So that way you can decide from all this, like, okay, my ALP score is this, uh, but my spectrocell tells me this. And then my, you know, whatever our other blood test tells me that. So that way you have a complete picture. So I'm going to provide that for you. It's in the PDF and we'll go over it at the end of the episode. But Anyway, ALP is another simple test without having to do the spectrocell micronutrient assay uh, to just get an idea like, oh, okay, seems like, you know, zinc and magnesium are a little bit deficient. Magnesium and zinc, just a quick note, they're one of these minerals that like are used in every enzyme in the body. Magnesium is like in 5,000 different processes in your body. So, you know, they're very, very common, very important for a lot of different reactions based on your genes, based on your toxicities, your deficiencies. People usually need a lot more magnesium uh, than than they get because they're not able to get it through the diet. Calcium, especially also a lot of calcium fortification. Remember, everything works in pairs. So most of the time people are consuming calcium, uh, you know, from all these fortified foods, but there's no magnesium in these things. And magnesium is the more important one. So very, very likely most people are magnesium deficient to some degree. Again, not to the point where I have disease, but suboptimal functioning which eventually will lead to disease. Uh, The next one is another blood test, methylmalonic acid, MMA. So what is this? This is the more specific test for B12 deficiency. I said we were going to come back to this later, but basically, if you suspect, again, sometimes you may get a false positive with your serum B12. If you suspect based on your genes, based on some other things, that you have a B12 deficiency, this one can give you a more specific idea. It's a type of compound that reacts to, you know, reacts with B12. And basically the higher the score is, uh, the more it suggests a deficiency. The lower it is, you know, if it's like a hundred, something like that, then that's good. You want it to be on the lower end because then that shows it's not a deficiency. So methylmalonic acid, uh, that's a more specific test for B12 deficiency. Complete blood count. Complete, Complete blood count is a test you can get. It's a very standard cheap test. But it can give you a lot of different scores, like 
platelet counts, white blood cell counts, uh, you know, red blood cell diameter, a couple different things that can be corroborated with other tests. None of these tests are conclusive. I mean, they, some of them can give you more information than others, but none of them are absolute. So it's always important to get a ton of them. So for example, with the complete blood count, your doctor can look at a lot of different things there. But one of the things that's interesting is something called MCV or mean corpuscular volume, which is just a fancy word for your red blood cell diameter. So if that's higher, then that's a possible aspect of B12 deficiency. So if that's a little bit on the higher side, that may corroborate B12 deficiency. Uh, complete metabolic panel. That's the next one. So that's something, yeah, that's a standard blood test everybody gets usually when they do their yearly physical. Um, it'll give you some some basic things like, you know, your cholesterol and liver enzymes, um, you know, different things like that, your, your fasting glucose and things. So those are some general things to get. It's it's important for sure. It's a it's affordable, so I would definitely get it at least once a year. Again, these tests, you know, I don't get these all the time. I get them I get blood tests around 2 to 3 times a year. And if you're trying to do a specific intervention and fix something, then I would say every 3 months. But, you know, I don't get all these all the time. That would first off cost you a fortune, but you know, it's about being specific about what is your goal is your goal to reduce inflammation okay well then i know certain tests and again it's all organized in the pdf uh danceoflife.com slash health testing but you know it's based on your goal so figure out what is your goal and again if you need help with that send me an email we'll do the 30-day challenge and we'll figure out the goal but it's all about being specific with your goal and then figuring out the testing plan for that Okay, so spectra cell micronutrient assay, blood tests, we went through that. Hair mineral analysis. This is a little controversial, especially in the mainstream health community, but hair mineral analysis can be useful as a corroborating test, especially for toxins. It's a great test for evaluating long-term exposure to toxins, uh, like, you know, cadmium or aluminum, you know, uh, mercury, all these different things. That's pretty much one of the gold standards to getting toxicology long-term. You also have urine tests for toxins, which we'll go over a little bit later. Those are more like for the acute exposure, meaning things that are like, okay, did I just, you know, bite into an aluminum thermometer or something, but hopefully not. But hair testing will give you an idea of long-term exposure. So it's a useful test. It also, you know, you can do it through a company called Trace Minerals. Uh, it's one of the one I've, I've used for, I don't use it anymore. I don't you do hair testing anymore. But I did it for years as a way to evaluate nutritional status because, you know, back then when I was doing all this stuff like several, well, 10 years ago, there wasn't really that many ways to test yourself, you know. So this was decent at the time. It has its limitations. I would not, this is not my first place to go. I would use the SpectraCell Micronutrient Assay for functional status. Uh, but this can be a way to get both toxins and uh, some functional status with certain minerals, which is it's very interesting. Um, other tests that are very useful, these kind of don't belong anywhere in particular, but they're very useful. One of them is a nitric oxide test. Nitric oxide it was awarded molecule of the year, I believe in 1993 when it was discovered, but it's one of the most important molecules for your heart health, for your circulation, for helping your blood vessels relax. Uh, you know, I, I take some nitric oxide supplements every day to help me stay at the right level. It's not one of those nutrients you can stock up on, you know? So for example, if you, if I stopped all my supplements today, you know, 
I would have enough stores in my body to last me for a little while because I've led a relatively healthy life. But nitric oxide, you have to take it every day. It, it runs out, you know, your body's constantly using it. And you, know, you can get these strips basically that you can put your saliva on and I'll link them in the test. And also, you know, basically you use them in the morning, right before you brush your teeth, before you drink any water and you see what the color is. You want it to be as pink and reddish as possible, ideally. Now, a little note about this. Nitric oxide is in a lot of vegetables like arugula, spinach, beets, you know, healthy vegetables. If you're not, if your diet is crap, let's say, and your lifestyle is crap, and you test high on this, meaning there's no reason that your lifestyle would indicate that you should have healthy levels of nitric oxide, but yet you still have a high test. This means you're getting a false positive, and this is very important. You're getting a false positive because there's a gene that controls peroxynitrate, which is a type of free radical that's very dangerous uh, in our bodies. And so certain people have SNPs in this gene and they create more of it. So if you get a false positive and you have no reason to, to think that you would basically have that, then that's reacting to the peroxynitrate in your saliva. So what that means is you still need nitric oxide. And uh, I'm going to link the uh, product there in the PDF of what nitric oxide product I use. It's a whole food product, and it's very good. Some chewable tablets, they're, they're super yummy, and they're very useful. You take about two or three a day, and they'll keep your levels optimal, and it's an adaptogenic kind of response. You know, So basically, it'll help heal. Even if you're getting a false positive, it'll help heal the nitric oxide levels in your body. Um, next one is a urine analysis. This is a basically a strip test. Again, these are all kind of strips. This is a strip. I'm going to link it again in the PDF where you can test things like your vitamin C levels in your urine, your pH, if there's any blood or glucose in your urine. These things are important, especially for kidney function. Most most people, you know, you don't need that, but especially I use this one for vitamin C. Uh, if you're peeing out vitamin C levels at the highest level on the test, that's basically ideally you want to... I test that throughout the day, so I have an idea of, you know, what I'm... I don't do it now anymore, but because I know basically what I need, how how much vitamin C I need to maintain my levels. But it's a good test to use when you're first starting out to see, okay, you know, what's my demand here? Especially if you're burned out, especially if you've had surgery, especially if you're sick, you'll see that the demand goes through the roof, especially if you're having whole food vitamin C products. You know, this is very important. And again, if, if you want to do the challenge, email me. I'll introduce you to all the highest quality stuff that I've been using for the last 15 years because it really matters. If you're taking crap, it's it's going to cause more damage in the long run. That's very important. Like with vitamin C, you know, you can take synthetic vitamin C, which was made in the lab with corn syrup and high fructose corn uh, syrup and, and acetone and hydrochloric acid and all this stuff. Then they call it vitamin C just because it's ascorbic acid that's not vitamin C. Vitamin C has several other components to it. Or you can take a whole food supplement, which is basically, you know, freeze-dried acerola cherries or something similar where they're condensing it to a chewable tablet. So you're getting a whole food component. That's a whole different story. So you have to know how to navigate these things uh, when you're healing and doing interventions because otherwise you might do more damage than good. Hydrion pH. What is that? Hydron pH, that's a company, but they make pH strips for biological use. Why these are important, you can test the pH of your urine and saliva, particularly more for saliva monitoring. I use this to monitor my saliva and 
this is really important, guys. If you want good dental health, and I've talked about this in some previous episodes and another one coming up pretty soon uh, with one of the famous dentists in Beverly Hills, but basically we're going to talk about the importance of pH, the oral pH. If your oral pH is acidic, that is a breeding ground for bacteria. You could be brushing your teeth 24-7. If your oral pH is acidic, it is easy for bacteria to grow. So what changes oral pH is obviously your nutrient status. If your saliva is rich in nutrients, if your body is rich in nutrients, then your peripheral fluids, like saliva, that's a peripheral fluid. It's not like blood, where it's the most, blood needs to be perfect, remember. So, you know, we keep all the nutrients there. But then the more nutrients you have, it starts spreading to other areas of your body. And so that's why you want to measure peripheral areas to get an idea of your functional status. Your saliva pH, if it's alkaline, that's a great indicator that you got, and again, measuring it, without the influence of diet in the morning, obviously before you brush your teeth, all that stuff. Uh, you want to measure your saliva pH, especially throughout the day, and see how it is responding to different foods you eat. Because if your saliva pH is alkaline, it's, it's, that's a great thing. First off, it makes it very difficult for bacteria to grow in your mouth so you can maintain your teeth. Uh, and also, you know, the enamel of your teeth. If your saliva is really acidic and you're eating acidic foods all the time, drinking kombucha, you know, kombucha is healthy supposedly, but... You know, a lot of stuff like this will just eat away at your enamel. It'll cause tooth sensitivity, you know, so it's a downward spiral. And, you know, we'll get into that more, in, like I said, in that future episode coming up with that dentist. But I've also interviewed, you know, Will of Oral Oral Wellness. Uh, that's a great website, oralwellness.com. I talk about him all the time. They have a lot of great resources for stuff. But saliva pH this is such a simple test that you can get done is a great way to see, okay, where am I standing with my nutrient status in my body? Your saliva is supposed to have calcium in it. It's supposed to have magnesium. It's supposed to have all these minerals in there. It's supposed to have a lot of things. Because why? Because the saliva comes back into your mouth to remineralize your teeth, to fight pathogens. You know, your saliva has lactoferrin in it, which is an antimicrobial. I mean, your body is very clever. But usually when we're devoid of nutrients, the saliva suffers, and then that affects your oral health. And then, you know, you get root canals, and that affects other parts of your body. You know, it's a downward spiral. So saliva pH, super important. I'm going to link where you can buy this pH strip. Uh, SpO2, or an oximeter. That's another thing. You can measure your blood oxygen levels. Above 95% is ideal. That's a great thing to keep in, keep on track, especially with all this coronavirus stuff and viral things in general. Uh, you want to see how your body's responding and be proactive because there's certain things you can do, like treating inflammation, uh, boosting the oxygen levels in your blood through different methods, like uh, an oxygen drop. You can do, do some oxygen drops in water of O2. I mean, there's all kinds of different things, but basically that at least will give you and these meters are actually also good. They're like little finger meters. I have one. You can keep track of your sleep as well. So if you're sleeping at night and you suspect you have some apnea issues or hypopnea, which is basically uh, reduced oxygen flow, that'll give you an idea of what your blood oxygen level is doing at night, which is super, super important because right now, at least not yet, like Aura Ring and all these other sleep monitors, they don't do that yet. I'm sure they will at some point. Uh, you know, but for now we need an oximeter to see where our blood oxygen level is going. Live blood microscopy or live blood analysis. This is a very super interesting test. Another kind of other test that can look at your nutritional status. 
this is not super done anymore. <laughs> this was done probably several years ago. It is still offered, but the FDA kind of, I think, cracked down on this and then made it uh, a special type of category test. Like you can't basically diagnose with this test, which I'm totally in agreement with. Uh, you know, back when I was doing it, you could, you could get diagnoses. I mean, chiropractors and stuff would use this, only this, and then basically diagnose supplements and all this kind of stuff from it. It's, it's an interesting test. Basically, again, you're looking at the peripheral areas. In this case, you're getting a prick of your finger and you put that blood on a microscopic, you know, stain, and then you look under it and you see what your blood looks like, which is very, very interesting. I would say if you could do it once at least just to see that all the crap that's moving around in your body, I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating experience, but there's a lot of things you can corroborate other tests with, like inflammatory markers, um, you know, which we'll get into, but basically, you know, like for example, when you look at your blood, if your blood cells are all clumped up, if they have crystals, there's little crystals in there, if your blood cells are moving slowly, if the white blood cells are moving slowly rather than being quickly and energized, uh, you know, the crystals are like spider web structures or, you know, all these kind of different things. Basically, all that can corroborate inflammatory markers, processing your protein poorly, the health of your immune system. It's just an observation. It's an interesting observation you can use. Uh, that's, you know, like I said, alongside more concrete tests like the spectrocell micronutrient assay and so on. But I definitely recommend doing this once at least so that you can really appreciate your own body. It's just such an experience to be able to see that there's stuff moving around even though it's outside of you still. So just a really interesting experience. Okay, so that's it for general nutritional status. Thyroid health. So I'm going to link again where you can get these blood tests, but these are things you can get done through any one of those specialized uh, areas, you know, where they, where the doctor undersigns and you can just get a test. So thyroid panel with antibodies, I definitely would recommend that at least, you know, once to get that measured. So there's going to be a lot of stuff in there. There's going to be your T3 and T4 hormones. There'll be your TSH. There'll be, um, you know, thyroglobin and, and TPO. I believe thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Basically what all that stuff is, main thing you want to look at is TSH. TSH, ideally for optimal functioning, should be around one to two. The range is like from, you know, what, 0 0.1 to five. And, you know, most regular doctors do not recognize an underactive thyroid. If your thyroid is three or four, or five, it's not normal. That means it's underactive and it's slow. It's an indicator that your body's slowing down, that your adrenals are slowing down, your thyroid needs a boost. You know, that's that's one of the first indicators. So don't wait till it's six, seven, eight, fifteen TSH for them to diagnose you with hypo uh, you know, hypothyroid. So this is a very simple test, but it's not necessarily always conclusive. You know, sometimes you need to look at your hormones to see how that's interacting. TSH is basically just a marker for how hard your thyroid is working to produce the hormones. If it's working, you know, optimally, it's the TSH isn't very high. It doesn't have to use a lot of signal for it to produce hormones. If it's very high, obviously that's an underactive thyroid. If it's super low, like 0.3 or something like that, 0.5, then, uh, you know, that means it's, it's a little overactive, meaning your thyroid is trying to cool down and not send so much signal because something is going on. So 
you know, the other thing, that's where you want to look at the antibodies. So a complete panel with antibodies will give you an idea of what's going on. If you have antibodies, you know, if you, if they're present, if they're there, then that's an indicator that you have an inflammatory condition. It may not be full-on Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, but there's some inflammation happening. And there's a lot of stuff with this because iodine is important. Uh, selenium is, a, is one of the most important minerals for your thyroid health. I definitely would get a selenium serum selenium test uh, and see what your selenium score is at. Compare it with your spectrocell test to see where your selenium is at. The thyroid has the most selenium out of any organ because selenium is used as an antioxidant. And there's a lot of reactions that happen in the thyroid, so it needs this buffer there all the time. What happens is when it doesn't have that buffer and there's inflammation from all the reactions that happen, it inflames the tissue of the thyroid. And your your system, your immune system, starts attacking those inflamed tissues because it you know wants to get rid of it, whatever. And that reaction is what you detect with antibodies. If you have antibodies, that means your immune system is reacting to the inflammation. doesn't mean you have a full-on autoimmune disease because you might have genetic factors that predispose you to creating some antibodies, but doesn't mean you're full-on diseased. So that means you just need extra antioxidant support, you know, with different things like, again, selenium and some other. Uh, and again, I can guide you through this if you if you send me an email because it is complicated. But thyroid antibodies are an indicator you need some uh, some antioxidant support. Some other blood tests that go with this, though, again, serum selenium, you want that to be around 120. Research says if it's high, like over 200 or low, under 90, it tends to be associated with long-term health issues. So you want that to be kind of in the middle of the range. Serum bromide. This is bromide. So when you, again, we had a previous episode with Charles Hakala, iodine researcher, episode 201. Make sure you check that out if you want more info on this. But iodine is the key component for your thyroid. And iodine's had a very contentious history with with how it evolved and how it's been demonized and and the the lab range currently for iodine is literally 10 times less than what it should be for optimal health. Everybody's afraid of iodine, but really iodine is is so important for every organ in your body. And the problem is besides the fact that the ranges are totally off and it doesn't allow people to shoot for optimal health, you have the presence of these halogens that compete with iodine. Bromide and fluoride are the two main halogens. There's chloride as well, but bromide and fluoride are the ones that are really toxic and damaging. So basically, you know, bromide is in like literally everything. We we consume ton, millions of tons of bromide in the US more than any other country. And so unfortunately, when that gets stuck in your body, it displaces iodine in your thyroid. It causes inflammation. It makes it harder for your body to obtain iodine. So you need to actually take more iodine to kick it out. And this can create a whole complex chain of reactions because if you are not taking a lot of nutrition in and just taking iodine, you know, that's going to, your body's using the iodine, but it needs other nutrients like magnesium, vitamin C, um, selenium, zinc to, to sort of buffer that process. So it can create more inflammation and that inflammation leads to more antibodies and so on. So it gets a little complicated, but these are very important tests that you can get. Serum bromide is very difficult to obtain, but bromide toxicity, I mean, if you have, you want this to be as low as possible. 
below three milligrams is uh, is ideal. But most people, you know, if you're if you're like a ten or twelve, even there, there's research there that shows you know you can have side effects like brain fog, uh, you know, neurological problems, all these things. So maybe for the most part, some of the things you're feeling are just simply from bromide toxicity. I mean, you never know. So this test. I got it done through a lab called NMS Labs. I believe they're in Pennsylvania. I'm going to link the contact there on this PDF, but you need a doctor to run it for you. I have an NPI number, and even with that, they're still picky about it. So, uh, But you can get it done. If you suspect a an acute you know, exposure by any means or you know, you have a reason to get it tested, definitely interesting to get it tested. Serum iodine in the blood is also important. Usually... From the research, again, we talk about this in episode 201, but from the research, the lab range for this is like 10 times more than, you know, what is on the range. It's like a thousand instead of a hundred, you know, I think like 90 actually is the maximum on the range, but you want it to be close to a thousand. If your body is in optimal iodine sufficiency, whole body sufficiency, rather than just having a little bit of iodine, then your range is actually much higher. So uh, again, episode 201, we talk about that. Serum bromide, serum iodine, serum selenium, and complete thyroid thyroid panel with antibodies. That's for your thyroid health. Another one that relates to this, and again, episode 201, I talk about this previous episode, is the uh, 24-hour iodine urine test. This is an excretion test where you take a loading tablet of iodine, and, you know, you, you collect your urine basically for a 24-hour period. And then you test your excretion. So if your body is excreting 90% of it or more, then your body has enough iodine. If it's excreting 50%, it's hanging on to that iodine, which means your body needs more iodine. So this is a very simple way to test and supplement over the course of several months and then retest and so on. And it also, in that test, you can order, which I highly recommend, order the uh, bromide and fluoride because as you take iodine, it will kick out some of that stuff. And if you have that stuff lying around in your body, it will show up in this test. So the key with this one is you want high excretion and low bromide and fluoride. If you get a relatively high excretion, like let's say in the 80s or something, and your bromide and fluoride are pretty high, then that may be a false positive because the, the iodine is just being used to excrete these halogens and the ability for your body to absorb iodine has been damaged by them. So what that means is you got to get back into nutrition, complete nutrition program, magnesium, vitamin C, zinc, you know, all EFAs, all these different things that we talk about to support your body to heal so that it can absorb and utilize the iodine and then retest uh, you know, again, in two or three months after doing all these interventions, providing antioxidant support so that your thyroid can handle all that stuff. Uh, and then you'll see usually that the excretion goes down the second time, but also the halogens also go down. So 24-hour urine test, I'll link that in the PDF. Inflammation and heart health. These are some blood tests again. I'll link where to get them. Uh, through the company there that I use. Again, they're contracted through a doctor. But homocysteine is the first one. That's an inflammation marker. The lower, the better. You want five to seven, uh, but you don't want it to be too low either because that might indicate some sort of metabolic or genetic issue. So you want it between five and seven. 
If it's higher end, that means you got inflammation. And, you know, especially if you have MTHFR issues, that's a gene that controls folate metabolism, B9, and B12 issues. Uh, you know, that can affect how your homocysteine is. So especially in my case, I do have that. So having the B vitamins supplemented in a methylated form, a special type of form that's more bioavailable, that's really important. C-reactive protein, that's like a system-wide indicator of inflammation. You want that below one, ideally. Uh, it can be raised, obviously, in an infection or an injury, but you want it to be below one. That is, that is optimal but as low as possible, basically. Erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Now, this one's interesting because it's a blood test, but it kind of relates to the stuff we talked about with live blood microscopy, like spider webs, you know, all these um, fibrinogen, which is another test you can get. Uh, all these little structures, protein structures that happen in the blood when the blood has a hard time, you know, processing the blood and getting, it gets thicker, basically. So when cells clump together, and you have these, these structures in the blood, they sink faster. So this test basically puts your cells in like a tube and watches how they sink through a solution. So the faster they sink, you know, the, the farther they sink, the bigger your score, meaning the more inflammation there is in your, in your blood. So you want this to be as low as possible. And again, it's another thing you can corroborate with the live blood microscopy. TMAO, also another compound that uh, kind of is good for heart health. You want to make sure that that's lower is better, obviously. It's a compound. I mean, it's a lot of controversy with this. It's a compound that basically affects how you metabolize cholesterol. And in some studies, it's been related to heart disease. and others, it's not conclusive. It's not really clear. It's not a direct you know, uh, causation. If it's higher end, it could be a product of your microbiome. You need some more diversity in your microbiome, so taking probiotics. Because what you eat also, if you're eating a lot of red meat, your your bacteria will adapt to that, and then they will produce more TMAO. So you, if you have a higher-end score on this, you want to eat some cruciferous vegetables, cut out red meat, clean up your diet, take some probiotics. You know These kind of things will help reduce it. But don't freak out necessarily. I would use this test along with other ones like homocysteine, C-reactive protein, uh, you know, another test, NMR lipid profile, which is basically a high sensitivity lipid measurement. You know, you way better than a regular cholesterol test. That's not going to tell you anything. If you want to get an idea of how you process your fats and how you, uh, you know, what your actual risk is for any kind of heart issues, get an NMR. Uh, that's like a neuromagnetic resonance lipid profile or something. Yeah, something like that. Use this along with homocysteine, C-reactive protein, TMAO, all that stuff is going to be way more data for you, more specific data, uh, especially for your doctor as well. You can see how you're responding, especially all these high fat diets. You know, your genes may predispose you for not processing fat very well, and you need some support like, you know, lipase or digestive enzymes. Or if you don't have a gallbladder, your uh, fats may not be processed as well. So it's all conditional, right? So you want to use all these pictures together. Insulin resistance score is another one. Uh, and HbA1c, hemoglobin A1c. These two are very important for sugar. So hemoglobin A1c, you want that 5.5 or lower is ideal because that's going to show your sugar control over the last three months. Anything over six and you're starting to get into like diabetes town. Insulin resistance, this is a tricky one to find in the company that I use that I linked they use uh, they combine the score with the NMR lipid profile. So 
you can get it through them. But if you don't get it through them, then try to get this score because it's a it's a great score to get that gives you an ideal an idea of how you're managing your sugar. So under 25 is good with this because it's if you have a higher score with insulin resistance, that means your body is becoming desensitized to insulin, meaning you're eating too many carbs, you're stressing out too much, eating too much sugar, you know, so your insulin resistance is growing and, you know, that's going to eventually lead to diabetes. So this is a great score to have as low as possible. Thermography, it's another one for inflammation and heart health, especially more for inflammation. It's a very interesting test. You basically sit in front of a specialized camera that takes a heat photograph and a practitioner will be able to, you know, mail it to a specially trained doctor and then they'll be able to look at, you know, the different distribution of heat in your, whatever they're photographing. Usually it's good for thyroid and like, um, you know, certain dental issues like root canals, cavitations, which are decaying of the, the bone in your jaw. And those are very hard to find. But a heat test can de- detect if there's inflammation in those areas because when you have increased blood flow, you have increased heat. So a specially trained person can look at that and just look at inflammation. So it's a very useful test, very interesting, and something that I've done is it's definitely, especially if you have root canals and you want to keep track of your root canals to make sure there's no inflammation seeping into your body, super, super useful. Okay, we got digestive health and we got aging. So digestive health, there's a couple of things on here. There's not too many. And I use a company called Vibrant Wellness. Um, they, they're, you, you have to request it through your doctor to get this test done. And unless you, you have an NPI number, then you can register with them and then order the test for yourself. But basically, you know, why I like this company is they're super, super comprehensive for the money that you pay. You get a shit ton of information. No joke. I mean, literally just to give you an idea, I was at a naturopath once and I took a gut test a stool test where, you know, you, you got to, you know, poop and then you, you put the poop in it. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. So you want to make sure you're getting your money's worth. Uh, and, you know, I paid like 350 bucks for this test and I got maybe like 10 points of data. And it was, it was a lot of, a lot of his money for something like that. But when I went to Vibrant Wellness and I spent, I think like 390, so it was only like a couple bucks more. I got like hundreds of points of data. I got a detailed analysis of all the types of bacteria that live in my gut, the proportion, so I know, you know, what's going on with my gut balance, inflammation markers in the gut, um, you know, whether I have parasites or not. I mean, it's just a ton of stuff. So I really, and the same goes for all their tests, like with their intolerance tests, like for wheat and dairy and lectins, they're super, super comprehensive. So I highly recommend them. Uh, or, you know, find something that's equivalent, find something super comprehensive. You know, the first test that I recommend for digestive health is stool testing, and you want to get that uh, once a year at least, you know, especially if you're doing interventions, you're trying to cure some parasites or anything like that. This is a great test to have to understand how your interventions are doing if you have inflammatory issues in the gut. You know, there's there's definitely a lot of markers within these tests based on the status of your gut lining and things that, you know, you can assess. So all these things are very good because they can give you a lot of action points on what kind of supplements to take, whether it's specific bacteria or different compounds like butyrate to heal your gut lining. These things are super important. So stool test, comprehensive stool test. I use Vibrant Wellness. It's called the Gut Zoomer. 
Also, you want to get intolerance tests. And these are like one time only. I mean, I usually, uh, I mean, I usually, I've gotten these once. And they're wheat, dairy, and lectins. Again, I use the Zoomers, the wheat, dairy, and lectin Zoomers of Vimer Wellness. You can find something equivalent. Uh, they also have a food allergy panel. But all these things are so valuable because you want to know. I, I don't like elimination diets. I think it's a waste of time, especially if you're busy. Like it's it's a waste of time to eliminate things, wait and see how things do. Sure, it's cheaper, but I'd rather get the data. Give me the data, take the test once so you know and you're empowered. For example, dairy, I took a dairy zoomer and dairy has three different components that people can react to. Lactose, casein, and whey. Lactose is the sugar. I'm not lactose intolerant, but you know, I, I was eating dairy for a while and, and it's def- it was causing me inflammation in my face eventually is what I learned because inflammation in your gut relates to inflammatory conditions in your skin. And turns out when I got this test that, you know, casein and whey have several other subproteins in them. Casein has like five, I believe, or eight. And then whey has also another five. So, you know, in my case, I was allergic to five out of the eight proteins for casein. Right, so most of casein tends to give me a moderate reaction. I'm not full on allergic, but it's enough of a reaction where it's like, okay, this would cause inflammation if I'm eating something with casein, a little bit of stimulation for my immune system. The whey protein, I was only moderately reacting to one of the peptides in there, which today I take whey protein. I take whey protein powder, you know, once a day, once every other day. You know, it's just another protein powder I can use because there are a lot of benefits to it. But in this case, it allowed me to make a powerful choice to understand, okay, should I use this and not this? Or can I have these and not these, this kind of stuff? So you want to be empowered. You want to know. Same thing with lectin zoomer. You know, everybody's up in arms about lectins, but ultimately some of those vegetables are really good for you. So you want to know which ones are really the problem. So you can either eliminate them or really treat them through pressure cooking or whatever else to eliminate lectins as much as possible. But otherwise, if you don't know and you're just like, oh, lectins, this has a lot, everything has a lectin. So ultimately, you want the data to know what reacts with your body so that you can minimize inflammation. Okay, so get your dairy, wheat, lectin, food allergy test. That's, I would do that once. Heidelberg stomach acid test. That's another simple test you can do. It's, it's actually kind of expensive. It's hard to find as well. But it's an old test, and it's a simple test. Basically, you you swallow a pill. It's like a mechanical pill, sort of. doesn't sound too fun. But you swallow this pill, and then you put a little transceiver next to your stomach, and then it sends signals every second. And, you know, then you poop out the pill later. But basically, this pill is a specialized pill that detects the acid levels in your stomach. And you can get several important markers with this, being what's your fasting stomach acid level? You know, is it low? Is it medium? Is it high? If you have a high fasting pH, then that means your stomach is alkaline and you have really low stomach acid. Uh, But the other thing is you take an acid test or an acid challenge during this test. So the person will give you an alkaline solution, sodium bicarbonate solution. Tastes like hell, but you drink it and obviously it alkalizes your stomach. So it challenges the cells to produce some stomach acid. And based on how long it takes for your stomach to get back to normal, that's another, a secondary indicator of your stomach acid. So if your fasting stomach acid is, fasting pH is good, but then it takes a while for your stomach acid to recuperate, that's that's another indicator like, hey, you have some impaired stomach acid functioning. That was the case in my case. So I'm borderline 
hypochloritic or basically low stomach acid. And I always suspected that based on my blood type. If you have blood type A, it tends to be associated with low stomach acid. But low stomach acid, this is one of the, I'll tell you, this is one of the key things that most people ignore in their health journey. If you have low stomach acid, it affects every other aspect of your health because it affects digestion and bacterial imbalance and all these kind of things. So if you know that you have low stomach acid, you can take some powerful interventions. And a lot of people who have stomach acid blockers, they're actually inappropriately diagnosed because there's a lot of things that can cause the sensation of heartburn that have nothing to do with excess stomach acid and more to do with what you're eating, with the integrity of your muscles in your stomach and all this kind of stuff. So basically, the Heidelberg stomach acid test, that's the gold standard. If you want to know where you're at, take the test and be clear on it because those acid blockers only do more harm than good most of the time. Uh, as you can see with the Zantac lawsuit recently where they basically, you know, produce some sort of carcinogenic compound in people's stomachs. So, you know, again, you just want to avoid it. There's a lot of natural things you can do to balance your stomach acid levels if you're high or low. So that's, that's basically the gold standard. Okay. Aging. A lot of tests for aging, you know, anti-aging. That's the big Big thing right now, we all want to live to be as long as possible, but it's ultimately you want to be as healthy as possible. So there's a lot of tests that I use. Again, there's no end to these tests. There's so many, but here's the main ones. The first one that will aid you is environmental toxins, mold toxins, and heavy metals. So these things you want to make sure you're low or at least get a baseline so you understand where you're at. I use Vibrant Wellness, and I use their Total Tox Burden Test, which is a uh, bundle of all three of these tests, or you can find some of the equivalent, but basically environmental toxins are like glyphosate, BPA, you know, these kind of things. Mold toxins are super problematic and deadly and you want, and they're everywhere. They're in cheap food. They're in processed food. They're in the home. If you've had any mold exposure, those things can really do a number on your health. So that's something to check out and see, you know, what's up, because if you have a high level on some of those, then they might be a good way to take some specific things to intervene with that. And then heavy metals also, it's always good to check and see through your urine. Again, hair testing is good as a long-term one, um, but heavy metals in the urine will give you kind of a short-term like acute exposure picture. Second one is cortisol, salivary cortisol or blood cortisol. Uh, cortisol is a stress hormone, obviously. If you get the salivary kind, you'll usually have to take four tests throughout the day. And that's like, you know, morning, afternoon, evening, all that kind of stuff. So there's a certain curve to cortisol. You want to spike in the morning and then it tapers off. If you are in misalignment with that curve, it will be an indicator of some sort of burnout, adrenal fatigue, adrenal dysfunction, this kind of thing. So based on the curve, you know, you get an idea of where you're at. Uh, blood cortisol can also be done in the morning. You know, and you want that to be obviously within range towards the middle, I would say better middle than lower. You want a good amount of cortisol in the morning that will help you get started, uh, but not too much because, you know, that's burnout. <laughs> so there's always there's always that that middle that we're shooting for. But cortisol, it's, you know, it's, it's useful. And at the same time, you'll know if your cortisol is off. If you're having trouble sleeping, if you're exhausted in the morning, you know, these kind of things are simple tells of cortisol imbalance. And the problem with salivary cortisol is that it's it's very slow. It's a very slow turnaround. You, you take a snapshot and it'll give you an idea. It might be good to get a baseline, but then it's like, okay, if you're doing interventions, like currently there's no test. I've looked this up 
as of this episode, there was a paper that was published on a finger monitoring, like a finger prick, and then it was applied, you know, use your phone and you could test your cortisol at home. And I emailed the people I emailed, it was like something Mountain Health Clinic in Utah. But anyway, they have no clue where this is at. And so there is no, there's no thing out there that can test your cortisol at home. So my point is salivate cortisol is useful, but it's very slow, right? So getting the thing, going through the daily test, sending it back, waiting a week or two, you know, by then you could do a lot of different interventions. So until there's a way to test it at home, like using a finger prick or maybe a laser scanner, that'd be pretty awesome. Then it's hard to know, um, what interventions are doing what? Because usually if your cortisol is balance, you'll feel it. You'll be able to sleep well without waking up or being stressed out at night. You'll have energy in the morning. Those things are good indicators without having a test of your cortisol balance. So uh, baseline is good, but I wouldn't obsess over it. DNA methylation test. This is based on some brand new research in the last couple of years. I think it was 2013 uh, by Steve Horvath and uh, some other people in California. But basically... This is a test to evaluate aging. This is probably the most accurate aging test you can get right now. And methylation, DNA methylation, it's a very complicated kind of filing system that your body uses, a very complicated metabolic system that your body uses to communicate, create proteins on the DNA. And so every time your DNA strand gets methylated, there's a a methyl group or a molecule basically that's added to the sides of that strand. And this goes on and off, you know, so if it's methylated, it's doing something. If it's acetylated, it's, it's not, you know, it's removed. So this is an on and off process, but over time, this is not a perfect system and it degrades. So if you accumulate methylation on your DNA strands, that has been shown to be an extremely accurate marker for aging. So you can get that done. I link the company that I use it uh, use it through my DNA age. Uh, so that's a very valuable test, super super very interesting, and and they're very accurate within a year. So it's also a test you can get done every year to measure the effect of different interventions. That's why it's so important because you can actually affect DNA methylation. So if you test out you know really poorly and you're five years older than your actual age. Uh, you know, then you can reduce that. And next year you can be the same age that you actually are biologically, which is important because probably most people aren't. They tend to test older than they actually are. So this is a very, very important test to do every year to monitor how you're aging. Uh, Number four on this aging list is self-decode. That's the gene screening test that I talked about. Super, super important to get this done. I would highly recommend paying for the full lifetime membership of like 200 something dollars because it's not worth it to itemize your reports. They have so many reports that you might as well just pay the 200 something bucks. Um, I mean, they are coming out constantly with data. They have a blog called self-hacked highly, highly recommend this. And it's a great tool to just understand what is the picture of your genes? What are your tendencies? Get some gene research done in specific with your own genes to see, you know, what your tendencies are, because all these things can affect how you process nutrients, how your blood tests come out, how certain scores come out, uh, what your demand for certain nutrients are, you know, what your propensity to be inflamed or, or have certain diseases are, you know. So there's a lot of very, very valuable information to this. The future of medicine is genetic-based nutrition. So get ahead of the curve, get a self-decode gene screen. I'm going to put a link for it in the PDF. 
telomere testing is another aging thing. I think this is old news in my book. I've had my telomeres tested with two different companies. One of them was Spectracell, and one of them I believe was Telo-Years. And one, they were off. Like Telo-Years, I think, said I was a lot younger. Spectracell was pretty much as same as my age. So it wasn't clear. And if you read the science, it's not really settled on necessarily relating telomere testing to aging. So, I mean, it could be useful if you're taking a telomere supplement, uh, you know, like TA65, I believe it's called, telomere lengthening supplement. You might be able to test that and see, okay, every six months is is this actually working because it's a super expensive supplement. Uh, but keep in mind also too long a telomere is not good either because it's propensity for, for cancer and other things. So telomeres, they're interesting, but you know, I would go with the DNA methylation test. Oxydata test, this is a uh, test testing something called malondialdehyde. It's a urine test. It's a metabolite metabolite that basically looks at the oxidation of lipids. Lipids, you know, every one of your cells has a lipid wall or a fat wall. And when these things get damaged by free radicals, right, your cells are damaged, that's called lipid peroxidation. And so it's a useful test to measure that particular process. Although remember that it's super limited because there's a ton of different types of free radicals. There's a ton of different types of metabolites in tests. So ultimately to me, um, you know, I used to get this test done all the time, but it's it's kind of limited. You might be able to use it for vitamin E status alongside with the other, um, you know, like the spectrocell test because vitamin E directly helps the lipid walls of your cells. So this might be something interesting that correlates with it. But other than that, I think it's it's kind of limited. Home sleep study. Definitely recommend getting one of these at least once. <laughs> you want to make sure your AHI, which is your apnea hypopnea index, uh, is as low as possible. Anything over five, I believe, is sleep apnea. But even if it's close to five, uh, you might have some some issues, some some subclinical issues like Bite alignment, which is forcing your tongue backwards and, you know, preventing you from breathing fully or some structural issues in your nose or your uvula. You know, there's so many things that a holistic dentist can do for you in this area. I mean, sleep apnea is like millions of people suffer with this, but how many of those people are dealing with it because of misalignment issues? And you'd be surprised when you dig into the research of this, which the bite actually, if you have a, a, a clustered bite, like basically it's a crowding, that's what it's called then it forces your tongue backwards, meaning when you sleep, you have a much higher propensity to choke and have apnea issues or hypopnea. And in my case, I have a little bit of that, but I have also uh, nose misalignment issues. Like there's a lot of structures in your nose and certain nostrils may not be able to get air as much as possible. You know, if your uvula is a little sunken, they can do some laser treatments to, to tighten the collagen in that area and basically have less propensity. You know, all these things add up. And if they add up to crappy sleep, uh, it may be, may be worth investigating with a home sleep study. Uh, Pharmanex skin carotenoid scan. This is an interesting test. I don't know if it's still popular. It used to be popular, but basically you put your finger in and it, it tests the amount of carotenoids, which are a type of antioxidant in your skin. Now, the problem with this, obviously, it's just testing the level of vegetables and fruits that you eat that have carotenoids. So if you're not eating things with carotenoids in them, your carotenoid score is going to be low. You can't really correlate this for, you know, your total antioxidant function, but it is interesting. You know, it might be an interesting test to see how 
maybe if you're taking a supplement that has carotenoids in it to see if it's actually making its way into your body. So that would be a, uh, it's called Pharmanix Skin Carotenoid Skin. And I believe they do some sort of MLM type of thing. So you might find certain clinics that do it uh, where they've bought the machine, they can test you and so on. Trifield, Trifield or Trifield EMF Reader. This is a thing you can buy on Amazon. Super handy for detecting EMFs in your home. I highly recommend that you get one and you understand basically where the EMFs and the electrical fields are and and take away fear from from living because certainly they're important to have as low as possible, uh, but understanding how to create habits around your electronics and different things is very important because, you know, if you have clarity about how big a field is, as long as you're outside that field, doesn't mean you need to wear a tinfoil hat all the time and, and freak out. So this reader will give you an idea of how big fields are. And I usually go for under three milligauss for magnetic fields and under 25 volts per meter for electric fields. That would be ideal, optimal. Uh, radio frequency fields as low as possible. So basically, you know, you just scan different appliances in your home. If you're sleeping next to a lamp, for example, usually that's going to have a huge electric field that might mess with your sleep. So, you know, these kind of things are interesting and important. If you're sitting at your desk, make sure you're not sitting and being exposed to EMS from different things around you. Uh, so structure your room accordingly and so on. And then finally, last but not least, NAD. Gosh, I'm bummed about this. There's actually no test for this. NAD is a anti-aging molecule, um, you know, that's basically involved in everything in your life. There was a center, NAD center, NAD testing center, I believe it was in San Diego or NAD health center. And they closed down as a result of this whole pandemic thing. And they were the first to offer an NAD blood test. And I was actually very close to getting one because especially with all these supplements that promise to boost your NAD levels, you want to know where you're at, you know, and see if they're actually working because they're pretty expensive. Uh, I anticipate that th I put this on here, though, because I anticipate this will be a reality right now in the next year, maybe two, you'll be able to test your NAD levels. But a caveat with this is that you need to be able to test it within your mitochondria. Again, not only in your blood, you want to see, is it in your cells, in your cells, and is it in your mitochondria? I don't know how that will even be possible to test the NAD levels in the mitochondria. But maybe if we can get it, you know, intercellular or intracellularly, uh, you can see what it is in the cells, then, you know, that might be something. So something to keep your eyes out for. All these other ones, they exist, and there's links for them. This last one, keep your eyes out for, especially all these anti-aging uh, supplements. So we got a lot of information for you. Here's my priority list. Again, use your PDF. You know, it's a long, long episode, but hopefully it empowers you. If you need help with this, again, don't be afraid to send me an email and do that challenge and, and set some goals and we can get to it. Uh, tutor at danceoflife.com. But here's the priority, the priority decision list. How do you prioritize these? How do you go about testing it? So for vitamins, vitamin A, I use the SpectraCell micronutrient assay first, and then I use my self-decode vitamins report. That's going to tell you genetically how you respond to certain vitamins if you need more, that kind of stuff. Vitamin D, uh, serum vitamin D is the first score that I use. That's my most weighted one. Then I also use the self-decode uh, vitamins report and my VDR status, meaning what does your vitamin D gene tell you? Is it, you know, is it crappy? Is it good? That's going to give you a great idea of how much you need to be supplementing. Uh, and then third on that list is spectrocell micronutrients. So that's going to measure the amount of vitamin D in your cells, not in your blood. It's actually in your cells. And sometimes those two will be off. Remember, 
What's in your blood doesn't mean what's in your tissues and your cells. So this is very important. Vitamin C, uh, I usually use my urine test for the ascorbate measurement. And I also combine that with SpectraCell micronutrient assay and the self-decode vitamins report. Vitamin K, I use SpectraCell micronutrient assay and self-decode vitamins report. Vitamin E, SpectraCell micronutrient assay. You can see SpectraCell kind of takes care of a lot of these things functionally. And then I use the self-decode vitamins report. And also, you know, you can use the oxidative free radical test, the lipid peroxidation that we mentioned earlier. Might be kind of like a tertiary thing to corroborate everything. But again, that wouldn't be my first place to go. I definitely would go with SpectraCell micronutrient assay. Uh, And then also your self-decode, your genetics report. Now, your B vitamins, uh, there's a couple notes on this. B9 and B12 are a little special because of the gene, the MTHFR gene, if you have issues with that, uh, or the MTRR gene. Um, you know, that's those two genes control B9 and B12 metabolism. So um, self-decode is the first place I go to see my gene status. I would do that because it's the cheapest. Some companies will charge you like 150 bucks just to get your MTHFR status. I think that's a waste of money. You should get all your genes for like 200 whatever bucks at self-decode. So get your self-decode report. Then take a SpectraCell micronutrient assay. That's going to give you an idea of your B9 levels. And then also you can get serum folate and homocysteine. So those two uh, are blood tests that also go along with these pictures to give you an idea of what's your B9 doing. B12, I would the first place I would go is serum methylmalonic acid. So that was that test uh, that was a very specific blood test for B12 deficiency. And then I would also look at your self-decode vitamins report and your MTHFR status and your MTRR status. Uh, both of those genes have to do with B9. B9 is MTHFR, but it also impacts B12. And then MTR, MTRR deals with uh, your body's ability to recycle B12. And so if you got SNPs in that one, they're you know not working so what, that's going to explain a lot. Uh, in my case, I have that, and the B12 has just been, I have to take a crap ton of B12. So another test to go with B12 is the serum B12, obviously, homocysteine, mean corpuscular volume. That's the MCV score in your complete uh, blood panel that we got, or complete blood count. And then also spectrocell micronutrient assay. So if you want B12 status, that's that's a lot of things there. It's your methylmalonic acid, your gene report for your genes, your serum blood test for homocysteine, B12, MCV, and then also a, a micronutrient assay. So a lot of stuff with B12. The other B vitamins, I would just use a spectrocell micronutrient assay, um, like B3, B5, B6, and so on. That's That's the best way to measure it. Minerals, there's a lot of minerals. You know, your main minerals are calcium, magnesium, copper, zinc, manganese, iron, selenium, chromium, and iodine. Those are your main ones. You have some other sub ones like boron, phosphorus, molybdenum, potassium, and sodium. These are also very important, but you don't really supplement these. You can supplement boron, although there's no way to, to really test for it. Uh, and it, it is beneficial. It's very important. I take boron two milligrams per day. That's about as low dose as you can take. So I think as long as you take that intermittently, also you're not going to overdose. I mean, it's body needs boron along with calcium, magnesium to build strong bones, to you know make your hormones, all that kind of stuff. And as of yet, there's no way to test it. Same thing with molybdenum, phosphorus, potassium, sodium. All these things are pretty common in the diet. So I wouldn't really worry about 
testing them necessarily. There's no way to really reliably supplement. I wouldn't supplement potassium and sodium unless you have a a serious issue. But those ones are not included in this in this priority list. So calcium and magnesium, I use spectrocell micronutrient let's say for my functional status. And then I also look at my self-decode essential minerals report, which is basically a guide to how does your body process these minerals? Is it, you know, do you have a higher demand for these minerals and that kind of thing? So those those two in conjunction guide my choices, you know, throughout the year as I supplement and adjust. Uh, copper and zinc, there, zinc has a couple more things than copper. Copper, I would use spectrocell micronutrients, say, uh, a serum copper score, and then a hair test from trace minerals or equivalent. Again, trace minerals, hair analysis, this is like the last thing I would use. It's interesting to have, but I would definitely use your micronutrient assay and your serum copper to get an idea of where that's at. Zinc, you can get a micronutrient assay, number one, and then also check your alkaline phosphatase. This is that uh, liver enzyme that basically kind of correlates to zinc deficiency. Also, serum zinc is important because remember, serum zinc your body's trying to keep minerals in the blood as much as possible. So to evaluate functional status, you need to look indirectly. That's why I put alkaline phosphatase above serum zinc. They're both important, but I would look at the alkaline phosphatase first for functional status. I also look at self-decode essential minerals report, see how your body is doing with zinc genetically. And then finally, a hair mineral analysis. Again, it's interesting as a, as a report, but I wouldn't necessarily rely 100% on it. Uh, manganese. Manganese is, is a, an interesting mineral. It could be toxic if you take too much, but it's important as a mineral for one of your main antioxidants. Just like selenium is for uh, glutathione, manganese is for superoxide dismutase, which is another super important antioxidant that your body creates. And if you have SNPs in your genes, uh, and unfortunately it's kind of hard to take a look at that in the SpectraCell test. They don't have a report specifically with this one. Like it's not in the essential minerals report. But if you look up your SOD genes, uh, SOD1 and 2, SNPs in those genes will generally mean that you need more manganese. Uh, but I use SpectraCell micronutrient assay, and I also use a hair mineral analysis. Manganese is one of those, like if you have SNPs, the demand is is super high. And you, there's no way to get it in the diet. I mean, it's a very uncommon mineral, and yet it's it's very important for a lot of different things. Antioxidants, uh, blood sugar, metabolism, hormones, all kinds of stuff. So it's a little-known thing, but it's very important. Iron. Iron's one of those other ones that's complicated. So iron, I look at hemoglobin, ferritin, and your serum iron. That's my number one. Then I look at my iron binding capacity, like TIBC, my transferrin, percent saturation. Okay, let's see how that gives me an idea of what's my body's capability to transport iron. Uh, and then spectrocell micronutrient assay, I look at there as well, self-decode essential minerals report, and then the trace minerals hair analysis. That's the last one I look at. So all those together you know, will give you an idea of your iron status. Again, and if you have B12 issues, if you have vitamin C issues, your body will probably be a little bit lower on iron or process iron a little bit poorly. Selenium, spectrocell micronutrient assay, that's the first place I go. And then I look at GGT, that's that liver enzyme that's related to glutathione. And then I look at serum selenium. And final thing is trace minerals, hair and else. Again, could be, you could use LabCorp, 
you know, as long as they don't wash the hair, that's the important thing because some companies wash the hair before they test it, which uh, can, can skew the results. Trace Minerals is very pure. They're very detailed about it, so that's why I use them. Uh, chromium, Spectrocell Micronutrient Assay, first place I go. Second place, I look at my sugar markers, hemoglobin A1C, insulin resistance, fasting, glucose. Chromium is one of those things that's very important for your blood sugar. Uh, and so if it's off, and again, it's, it's hard to get in the diet, just like manganese, and most people are deficient in it. So certain things that you can look at indirectly are like insulin resistance, hemoglobin A1C, your micronutrient assay, all that kind of stuff. Uh, then that will give you a basic idea of where it is in the periphery. The tra- the hair mineral analysis will give you a score, um, but again, it's, it's not really reliable. I, I had a deficient score, and I know that I'm deficient in chromium based on the other tests, or let's say my demand is higher based on the other tests. I used the hair mineral test, and I was taking absurd amounts of chromium, and it just would barely, barely move. So, uh, you know, I, did, I never overdose on anything or anything like that because the body needs a lot, especially if you're taking high-quality nutrition. Again, the form is very important. With minerals, chelated minerals. You got to take chelated minerals. Otherwise, you're just doing more damage than good. But I look at the other two much, much better. Iodine. Iodine is that final list. That's the, the wild card. You need a 24-hour urine test. That's the number one place I look at. And then I combine that with my thyroid panel, my TSH, my T4, thyroid antibodies. And then I also look at serum bromide. If you can get that test at least once and see what your bromide levels are at, uh, because bromide is a big competitor with iodine. So that in combination with these other ones will give me an idea of how is my body, like what does the battleground look like? So that's really important. Uh, You got some other tests too, like for digestive health, I get those stool tests uh, I get the gut health report through Self-Decode. They have a great one that basically tells you your genetic propensity for certain inflammatory conditions. You know, So if you have a propensity to be inflamed, then having more anti-inflammatory supplements or in a diet, that's really important. Uh, you know, Obviously, that's key. So that's a great tool. Heidelberg acid stomach test, food allergy panels, you know, wheat, dairy, lectin panels, all that is important to get at least once for your digestive health. Aging and antioxidant, if that's your goal, I would start with your DNA methylation test. And then I would get regular markers, you know, every like twice a year, homocysteine, C-reactive protein, uh, ferritin plus GGT, you know, your NMR NMR lipoprofile, which is that advanced fat test to see how your fats are doing. Because that, if you have high inflammation and high cholesterol, then, you know, that's a big problem. So inflammation is really the issue. Uh, rather than necessarily having more cholesterol or anything else. So those together are really important. Um, And then obviously also the toxin bundle, knowing what your toxins are at. You know, if you want to know how fast you're aging, just go get a toxins test and see where you're at because those things will age you really quick. And certain nutrients can help you detox certain therapies. And those kind of tests are good things to keep on track every, every six months or so, every once a year at least, see what you're doing and see how the things that you're doing or maybe the lifestyle that you're living is affecting your scores. And then finally, the micronutrient assay uh, by SpectraCell, it has another score in there called the Spectrox score. And so what that does is it exposes your test to an oxidant. I think it's like peroxide. And basically their ability to fight that off, however long it is, it shows their 
inherent stores of antioxidants in them. So obviously, if your immune system is pretty robust with antioxidants, then you have a higher spectrox score. So that's another kind of marker that you can use for aging antioxidant standards. Antioxidants are hard to measure. That's why I don't really believe so much in, in all these antioxidant products. There's some good ones out there for sure. Uh, but you know, your body's natural antioxidants are the best glutathione, SOD, all these things. You want to support your body through the basics, through nutrition to create those for itself. So a lot of information, guys. This was intense. I'll tell you, quite a marathon. If you're still with me, congratulations. You're a superstar in my book. But if you need help with this, don't be afraid to reach out. Like I said, I'm doing that challenge. If you listen to this episode and you mention this episode, then uh, you know, email me, mention this episode, tell me you want to do the 30-day challenge, and it'll be free for you for those 30 days for those four sessions. Um, but again, if you need uh, to download the PDF for this, it's at danceoflife.com slash health testing. I'm just going to end it here. I wish you well. I wish you health. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, God bless. And wherever you happen to be, stay healthy, stay empowered, stay strong. You have control over your health. And, you know, health testing is always emerging. Recruit a functional health team. You know, uh, if you want to go to um, Institute of Functional Medicine, uh, they're an online directory, ifm.org. You can find a functional medicine practitioner there, you know, or Google, just find a functional medicine doctor in your area. You are the player and you can get a good coach and help different people on your health team. You can have multiple people. You may have a life coach. You may have a doctor. You may have a dietitian. You may have a personal trainer. All these things can, all these different people can advise you and keep you playing. And you are the player that gets to decide how, you know, what are your goals? Is it digestive health? Is it anti reducing inflammation, pain, antioxidants, aging, whatever it is, right? And construct a plan accordingly. But, you know, you have the power. So stay healthy. Stay strong. If you need anything, let me know. And I'll see you guys next week. We have a lot of awesome episodes coming up next week. Stay tuned. We're going to hit it back on some new interviews. It got uh, Danielle Randall. She is the creator of Authorized Love. Can't wait to share that with you. She got a, such a great movement on self-love, acceptance, and living your life with love. It's just it's beautiful. So hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you next week. And until then, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.